The difference between Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo is that Garoppolo's salary is not guaranteed. So the 49ers can cut him and be off the hook, just a couple million dollars in dead money, but they won't have to pay him. So look for the Niners if they can't trade Jimmy Garoppolo by the start of the season to release him, and then he would be free to sign with anybody, including that division rival team in Seattle. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. Things change quickly on the show, don't they? They change real quickly. Caleb Herring is in. We've got a couple things on deck to talk about with Caleb. We're going to get into the conference realignment stuff and UNLV's role in this changing world of college sports. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm I'm trying to get my head back on straight. Like you said, everything's changing week to week. It's it's crazy yeah. out there. Yep. Yeah. All right. So uh, I just saw a uh, retweet with the gov. Governor Sisolak was uh, shouting out Adam Hill. Adam, your story in the paper about what NFL cities was. What was the basic uh, crux of the story? Yeah, uh, ranked one to thirty best markets to go watch an NFL game. Okay. Vegas, obviously number one. That was the, the whole crux of the story. Was I mean, obviously Vegas number one. How did the rest of the cities rank up? And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks to the gov for. Uh, Have you? Let me ask. Not you. only tweeting it out, but hey, wow. saying, "Hey, we big agree." Big time, Adam. Adam. I like oh, yeah. it. Big, big time, time, man. No, but he said we agree, Adam. He he would have been nice. He actually shouted my name in the. Does he know how to do that? Does he know how to 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 at or or actually? Yes, come on. Tweet it to you. Come on. I think it was more personal <laughs> that he just said my name instead of the tag. I, I like that. Right, because you know, he he, because everybody knows you by your Twitter handle, right? These days, like your Twitter handle is just as good as your first name. Sure, I feel like so. I mean, it's it's more traffic to your page, I guess, would be you know the helpful part of it. Yeah, it's cool that he knows you personally, but tagging your page gets you traffic to your social media, gets you more followers potentially, and broadens your platform. You know, a retweet from the governor. uh... I'll throw this out there. Could this turn out to be like when Dana White sent out one of your stories? No, that was bad. Will there be a lot of haters around the country who send you screenshots of your house? I don't think this. Uh, I don't Jeez. think this tweet. I don't think this tweet is going to lead Sean Hannity's show tomorrow night. No, that <laughs> actually, Caleb, Caleb, that actually did happen. Oh my! Are you kidding me? No, we were on Hannity. Yeah, it was an ugly couple of days. <laughs> it was not good. Oh my gosh! That's dude. Now you've officially made it. You got pictures of your house. Did you get death threats? Uh, more than more than a thousand. Oh my God! Yeah, that's lawyers. you're officially a polarizing figure in the media world. Then, yeah, right? Like celebrated involved. and hated at the same. Time. Yeah, potential Jesus. security that was going to be stationed at my house. It was a good couple of days. It was fun. I didn't know that. I would I would have been security. I know. I know you would have. Yeah, I would have been down there in heart. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I could just see it now. Steve standing at the front door, uh, trafficking all all the outsiders. Like, hey, no, no guests. Get out. Exactly. You have the perfect oh, no. smug fit. You have the perfect eye contact and and demeanor for it. I'd believe you. <laughs> I believe you're going to beat me up, whether or not you were. I I don't I don't know, yeah, but I, I believe you just on the face on face yes. value. No, you have no idea. There's something I don't even remember what it was. I'm sure Steve does. There was something that happened in my house, and I I would like text him. I was like, "Yeah, hey, this is super weird. Like this just happened." And like literally three minutes later, he was there with like a baseball bat. I was like, "What are you doing Let's here? Go. Come on!" Like, <laughs> what? That is perfect, hopeful. man. Perfect. Uh, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> Caleb, how many NFL cities do you think you've been to? I mean, we're kind of putting you on the spot here, but uh, you think you've been to half? Um, let's see. There's some. I well, I haven't been to a game at each NFL city, but right. I've been I just to. Mean a, being, I just mean. Yeah, yeah. You, you've been, I've been in to. I, 
right, right. I've been I've been to over half. The only ones I really haven't been to are the ones in the Northeast. Um, so I at least the cities. So I, I've been to just about all of the cities. Um, uh, yeah, the Northeast is somewhere that I just haven't gone in general. I don't. I've never made my way up to that side of the the states. But yeah, I've been to most of the cities that the NFL has teams in. And I'll say this. Yeah, I'll say this. Most of the cities, um, market wise, and other things to do in those cities is i agree with adam's list to say vegas is number one as far as entertainment and how to put on a show vegas knows how to do that better than any of the markets that i've been to um there are towns and i would say this more about college towns but there are towns that are devoted only to football and that makes it more special like where football is king in that city um and that that adds an element of you know fandom the city shuts down for the games and all that kind of stuff is is cool as well but the markets themselves that just thinking of the ones that I've been to, um, it, it's not like that. there's so much marketability outside of, you know, football and the entertainment value is there and there's so much else to do. It's like, no, you're going to that city more often than not to watch that football game. And, you know, a couple markets of mainstream teams come to mind, like Green Bay and Kansas City and, um, you know, um, Tennessee. Like there's other things to do in Tennessee, obviously, but where the city is, it's not like there's a lot or where the stadium is. It's not like there's a lot going on that has more to do with football than anything else, right? So Vegas is one of those unique markets where it's like, yeah, the game itself is very entertaining, but make a weekend out of this. Like, you don't say that about very many other sports markets in general. I mean, LA, obviously, the New York scene, obviously, but Vegas is right in that mix of, of, of destinations that you want to go to and entertain yourself for a weekend. Yeah, Caleb, Nashville is, uh, Nashville is number three. For sure, Nashville's awesome. It's got to be out there. Uh, it's amazing. So, yeah. So I, I, I said it, and I, I slipped. I said, well, you know, Tennessee does have some stuff. Yeah. That actually, now that I think about it, and but like, yeah, no. Part of it for going to a game, like New York, is pretty low. Like I love New York, but New York's pretty low on my list, and LA is pretty low on my list because, like, first of all, getting to a game in New Jersey, like, what are you going to do? Stay yeah. in Newark yeah. and go to the game? There's like, nothing. What are you there's doing? really there's the around the stadiums are not built up enough and to me that's part of the the, the game day experience there's got to be something within walking distance absolutely and I, I think you think about that and I, I go to every sport really when you think about uh, I think about the Cubs and and you know their stadium their setup that whole scene makes the experience right like where it's like the bars right outside everybody's out there early they shut the streets down that adds to what will be inside the stadium if you don't have that and it's like you know it's just a game and you got the oh, I'd rather just watch on TV crowd if you know if that's all it is. If I'm going to pay 400 bucks just to go watch the game from the nosebleeds, then why would you know why why go through the hassle? But the experience around it, and that's kind of what I meant. That just because the market necessarily isn't great around it, doesn't mean that it can't be a great experience. I'm sure the tailgate parties for the the core fans in those cities and those markets is great. Um, but as far as destination that you want to go to and and go outside your own home market to visit and be a part of the experience. There has to be something else to draw you there. And I, of course, Jerry Jones did the something else by making just a huge playpen of wonderful things. And then that draws you there. Right. Um, but then there's also, you know, the tailgates, the the fan experience, the bar hopping that goes on before those kind of things that add to the experience. And like you said, I've never been to the Northeastern uh, stadiums up there and watched any of those games. Um, but I can imagine that that's the case. And I've heard similar things from other people that the experience isn't necessarily there because New York is what it is or because you're not necessarily in the thick of things um, when you're at the stadium. I have no idea where Adam ranked Charlotte. I worked in Charlotte for a little while. I would just give it kind of a eh, on the on the game day experience. Um, that said, they're going to have a highly polarizing 
dude at quarterback, and they're going to be worth a watch to see if Baker Mayfield can resurrect his career. Do you think he can? He's been traded from the Browns to the Panthers. It's it's kind of sad that this early in his career that we're already talking about resurrecting it, right? But I, I don't know if this is going to resurrect it necessarily. I think it can bring him back to the center of attention. What he does with that attention is up to Baker Mayfield. Um, and I think he's one of the guys that came in along with Sam Darnold, which is interesting because they're both on the same team with a lot of, of I think, uh, I want to say overhype or they were, they were, they were put in positions, I guess, to, to be these mega influential stars in the NFL, um, especially with Baker Mayfield and his off the field stuff with, with the commercials and whatnot, they were put in this position very early on to be the guy, like the next guy. And then it, so that makes the fall from grace a lot harder for them. So that makes a, then, and, and you know, just a logical line of thinking, it makes his recovery or his redemption story a lot harder as well. There's a higher mountain to climb for him to return to the, you know, the Heisman first round, first draft pick, all that stuff that came with it, the commercials, you know, all of that that he had in his early career, early success. It's going to be hard to climb back up that mountain, especially with the way things um, fizzled out in Cleveland. It was just a bad look for him as as a player and as a as a as an entertainer, as a personality. It just there's a lot to overcome for Baker. And I don't know if this in Charlotte is necessarily the platform that's going to overcome that past. Right. It, it You have to do some winning along the way. And this team isn't set up necessarily, at least right now, right away to give him the winning to back up. You know, I'm trying to turn around and do the right thing by my teammates or whatever the case may be. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how this works out for Baker. Um, I wouldn't say, like like you said, I don't know the market for Charlotte. I don't know how they, uh, how the Panthers fan base really is. I know they had some really good times with Cam Newton um, and you know had a Super Bowl trip as well in their history, but I don't know necessarily that this fan base is any bigger um, than Cleveland's. I would, I would say it's not, um, but um, I don't, yeah, it's definitely not bigger than Cleveland. It's not going to, he's not going to be focused on as much as Cleveland. And maybe that's a good thing for him, that for Baker Mayfield. As, yeah, like, yeah. He's in the background now. He's not, you know, the Cleveland Browns, I've, I've been a franchise that for better or worse, you know, even if they're not winning, they've been at the front of, you know, a lot of NFL news and they have a really solid fan base or loyal fan base, we'll say, um, that's there and paying attention to their team. So him being the quarterback there was a bigger deal than I think him being the quarterback for the Panthers will be if he does become the starter uh, week one in a rematch or uh, his first time returning. Um, to, or playing against Cleveland um, to get some payback, I guess. So we'll see yeah. how that works out. I think he's got to get his mind right. So, you know, if he sort of disappears in Charlotte, you know, if his performance dictates coverage, that's good. But if they're just kind of average and, you know, he gets a quiet year, rebuild himself, I think that's probably a good thing. But I, I have no idea where he is right now. I don't know if he needed to hit rock bottom. I hope he believes this is rock bottom and gets his mind right because – you know, as a you know, as a quarterback, you're the CEO of the franchise, and all the other stuff around him, off the field and in the locker room, it's just it's not productive. Absolutely, it it hinders your team's ability to make the roster better. It, it, every quarterback is a position that everybody who's a free agent at other positions will look at and say, "Who's the quarterback?" And they'll make decisions about free agency based on what team has a quarterback that they feel is solid, both as a character guy and as a as a talent guy on the field. So the quarterback position, you have to be the total package. And um, there's no turning it off. There's no, I got my side life, my not, you know, off the field life. and all. No, you are who you are. And that's, you know, you see the endorsements that quarterbacks get off the field. They're all tied into who you are as a quarterback on the field. I mean, you look at what Aaron Rodgers does off the field. He's kind of this, this I don't want to say know-it-all, but this, 
the smug kind of guy. So it makes sense for him to be the host of Jeopardy, right? Like it makes sense for him to kind of, you know, have the I'm smarter than you personality outside of football. Same thing with Baker Mayfield. He's he's a fun kind of young guy who's got gone viral before in the past on social media. So it makes sense for him to have the funny commercials um, with the insurance companies and the progressive commercials, things like that. So your brand is is more than just who you want to be on social media. Your brand is who you are on social media, as well as who you are for the team, as well as how you're recruiting constantly 100 percent of the time to land free agents to make your franchise better. That's what franchises are trying to land in a quarterback, not just a guy that throws a tight spiral, but a guy that's going to elevate the team in more ways than just the physical ones on the field. So hopefully Baker can be that for the Panthers. Hopefully he revitalizes his career. And I will always root for the best for people, even if they you know, have done some self-inflicted harm along the way. But this is maybe a chance, like you said, for a fresh start for Baker. Caleb Herring is with us, former quarterback at UNLV. All right, as a as a rebel, how are you feeling about the last week or so? A lot of uncertainty now, but I think there are opportunities out there. So how do you feel about uh, what UCLA and, and USC did in the college sports landscape as far as the conferences go? I, I'm excited for change. Uh, I think it, anytime there's big change, and this is at any level, trades or whatever, there's there's a kind of a sense of newness to the upcoming season or the upcoming future. Um, in the case of the conference realignment, but USC and, and UCLA leaving is like a gut punch to me from my childhood. I don't know why that just hurt me so bad. I mean, the schools aren't like packing up and moving to the middle of the country. They're still going to be located there, but it just doesn't feel right to say that USC and UCLA aren't in the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 anymore. Um, being a California kid, that's kind of a part of my, that's ingrained in my, my recollection of sports, right? Um, so that's different, but I am excited for what it could mean for everybody else. And when the when the deck gets shuffled, when you keep getting dealt bad hands, sometimes you got to reshuffle the deck. And I think for a lot of the schools who are teetering on the line of power five or not and getting a chance or, or not getting a chance in as far as on the field and, and the playoffs and things like that, um, sometimes reshuffling the deck opens up opportunities for you. And you look at teams like UCF and, and Houston and Cincinnati who are finding themselves in a better position because of this realignment. Um, so th- those things are, are good. And I think UNLV speaking from our local um, school is is in a position now with the market being built up around UNLV and sports in general in Vegas is in a position to now be a beneficiary of those kind of changes that deck reshuffling could land UNLV in a a more advantageous position after the dust is settled so that's the hope there's also the downside where you could be you know the Oregon State or or some other mid-level team in in a power five conference who gets kind of bailed on and now you go down in the rankings where now you're, you're looking to, you know, Conference USA or, or something like that to try to put together your own type of conference. Who knows how that's going to shake up? But I'm excited for the realignment. There's been a lot of the same old stuff. Um, I, we would have wanted uh, uh, the deck to be reshuffled as far as a, uh, an expanded playoff, I think, would have been the first move. But, hey, if it's reshuffled this way, I'm excited to see how things pan out. Yeah. Well, uh, for you, talking about being weird that, you know, USC and UCLA being in the Big Ten. How about you know fans of schools like, oh, say, Michigan that now get to watch games in Southern California the regular season? That's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, right? Yeah, like, uh, like the last game of the season, Ohio State, Michigan, or you know that game. Just looking at that weather wise, it was like, geez, the weather really impacted that game, didn't it? Imagine like now being like at USC, you know, seventy degrees, light breeze out of the South. And that's where you're playing your last game of the season where it's like, yeah, this is comfortable. I, I, I enjoy this. I enjoy getting out of that, the frozen tundra environment and coming out here and playing, you know, what looks, what feels like a spring ball game, right, in Southern California. 
um having that kind of even just the, the disparity between locations like you can be watching the big 10 network and be watching like you said the frozen tundra game and then the next game on on the big 10 network is you know sunny and 80 right so it's like that's cool but i think for the fan bases that travel it's especially cool to now for the first time have access or be able to at least once a year or once every two years travel and show your uh, your support for your team in a different place that maybe feels a lot more comfortable as well as you know there's fans all over the place there's the michigan fan that's been talking smack and been surrounded by sc fans his whole life because he lives in la and then now all of a sudden his team's coming to la uh, you know every couple of years he gets the right to put on his best michigan sweatshirt and, and root the loudest um in the coliseum that's i mean that's that's an experience people enjoy as well being the bad guy in the, in the away stadium so um it opens up a whole new geographical opportunity for both university players and athletes as well as uh the fan bases that support them i don't, I don't think michigan fans will be the bad guy the, the amazing blue will take over <laughs> they, they have a really deep fan base and yeah. i think where usc is right now as a, as a program yeah, I think Michigan, there's more excitement behind Michigan as far as the fan bases go. So um, that, that could turn ugly quickly for USC fans. When you see people commenting on UNLV football and UNLV athletics on social media, you know, and, and we've all got something to say about other schools and have very little knowledge of what goes on at other schools. But when you see all the negative stuff about UNLV as a candidate for the Pac-12, how do you respond? I mean, you don't, you don't have to respond, but how would you respond? What are the positives? Well, I, absolutely, there's positives. I mean, obviously, people will immediately go to the easy thing of the football team hasn't won. And everybody understands that the football team is pretty much king in college sports. Um, that's a lot of the attention goes to football for obvious financial reasons. Um, so having a good football program helps, right? But there's a lot of programs that are a part of major conferences that aren't good football programs. And there are other things that programs can bring to the table that gives them a valid reason to be a part of major conferences. And the, the team that comes to mind is Vanderbilt uh, right off the top of my head. Um, there's teams in every major conference that you say, well, you don't think of them when you think of Pac-12 football or Big Ten football or SEC football, but they're there in the conference and they serve a purpose to that conference. Um, it may not be the reason you want UNLV to be added to the Pac-12, but the fact that UNLV and Las Vegas is one of the fastest growing sports markets in the country right now that adds value to you you unlv's chance to get in the pac-12 why wouldn't the pac-12 want to add that after losing two of the most historic franchise or programs in college football why not add one of the fastest growing uh, markets and potentially faster growing teams in unlv you look at the, the the facilities and things like that where that adds to the value of unlv as a program as far as adding into a conference then there's the academic side, UNLV climbing up the ranks as far as GPA and, and, and college graduation rate with their athletes. Those things matter. I'm not saying UNLV is a, an Ivy League school and everybody's chomping at the bit to have their academic resume in their conference. But those things matter. And if UNLV over the course of this last you know decade or so has improved in those areas, while the wins and losses haven't come, they still could find themselves in a very good position to end up in one of these major conferences. Um, and, and you've seen it happen with other teams in the past. And I don't know why you wouldn't want to be optimistic about that, especially if you're a fan of UNLV or in the local area. Um, having um, not just UNLV as a football team, but the ability for other teams in the conference to visit UNLV and have their fan experience go there. The, 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 the revenue at the gate for, for ticket sales for bowl games, potentially being Pac-12 championship games or whatever the case may be, being hosted at Allegiant Stadium. That it definitely plays a part because the dollar is king, right? Regardless of what's going on, I think 
it's it's obvious that the markets and which markets produce the most money usually end up getting what they want when it comes to teams or or conference realignment. So UNLV and the Vegas market has put themselves in, I think, prime position to be one of those up and coming programs and cities for any sports team that wants to come, whether it's, you know, NBA, baseball um, and and the Pac-12 in this case, when we're talking about conference realignment. I think Vegas makes sense as a market that can produce profit and revenue. Caleb Herring, Football Insider with Cofield and Company, played quarterback at UNLV as one of the voices of UNLV football and uh, the Marcus Arroyo radio show. Let's close on this. Um, I find this all very rich because uh, the last five days have been filled with one. You see the lack of loyalty in the case of UCLA and USC, especially UCLA. They're like, we need money. We've mismanaged this whole freaking thing. So you know what? To hell with all the rivalries. We're on the move, right? And then you've got all this tumultuousness and uncertainty where schools don't know where they're going to be, which then brings us to the kids who get hammered for transferring all the time and changing commitments. And I just, I'll bring this up again. Um, I threw out a question the other day. There's a kid from Downey, California, Aiden Childs, top 10 quarterback in California, like top 25 kid. Well, he committed to Oregon Mm -hmm. State. And I threw it out there. I'm like, I wonder if he like rethinks his commitment to Oregon State. Oregon State might not be in the Pac-12 if there is no Pac-12. You know, four, you know, three years from now when he's playing, the kid actually did respond and said, I ain't going nowhere. But I do, I do find it funny that when it's the superpowers, you know, the people who have all the money in college football who show no loyalty, right? Are we going to get on them like we do with the kids? The answer is no. <laughs> because that that's just the way it is in everything, right? Like in in, in the in the world of of job markets and employees versus employers, it, the the people at the top never face the same backlash, right? Kevin Durant is going to face more black backlash than the people that put Rudy Gobert on the tri- trading block, right? Like Rudy Gobert deserves some loyalty, don't you think, from the Jazz after what he's done for them and and how consistent he's been as a player for them? But he got thrown on the trading block. Nobody's like saying, "How dare they turn their back." But then you look at Kevin Durant, which kind of a similar situation as far as the contracts go and, and requesting a trade. He requests a trade and everybody's like, how could he? The, the owners have a right to be upset, yada, yada, yada. So the guys at the top always get a pass for whatever reason. And it's no different, I think, with the loyalty system in college football. It's just I think for college football, this is the first time we've kind of been able to see that um, the, the, the dual, the, I guess the double standard, if you will, for players and, and administration because – it's always been so one-sided. The players never really had a choice. So you never really had to see that how different the reactions were when players were disloyal to their programs. Now with the transfer board and things like that, it's a conversation. I think a lot of the people at the top who have influence in media and things like that um, have a, a, an easier time getting that message across that the players need to show more loyalty in the traditionalist and things like that. Um, which to a degree they're right. And that's what makes it so interesting. There is something to it to say that the tradition of USC versus UCLA, that rivalry in the past is important to everybody, everybody from the top down. Um, But then there's also the individual's ability to just have the freedom of choice. That's important too. We have to do a better job, I think, of celebrating it when necessary um, and, and, and I guess criticizing it when we seem it's unnecessary. And that that has to be a a two-sided thing. Now, these programs, I guess, have no duty to be loyalty to the individuals, um, right? Like they, you can't say a twenty-four, a twenty twenty-four uh, conference realignment um, has anything to do necessarily with the twenty twenty-two commit. Like he committed in twenty twenty-two, we were where we were when he committed, and he can't really make a decision based on what we're going to be in twenty twenty-four. 
Um, so you got to give him some leeway to be able to leave if he wants to in 2024, right? Um, but there, there's so much that is a double standard in that conversation. Um, and I, I'm excited for a time where it's it's a, a little less subjective and a more objective standard that we base that on, right? Um, commit to something and, and stay committed to it, not just for any old reason. But once that commitment is betrayed, you have the right to, to change your mind just like anybody else does. So um, we'll see. And I always say this with the people at the top. The money is what guides their decision making. And it's never been about loyalty to them. It's the money um, for players. They still had the option for it to be about um, right now, at least for it to be about money and future success versus loyalty, loyalty to say a community or fan base. Um, they still kind of have to make that decision for themselves. But for the guys at the top, it's always, always going to be about the money. Once the money's touched, like you said, with UCLA and the revenue dip, it's like, all right, we got to make a change. We're, we're only loyal to the money that we can generate. Um, I think players now still have the choice to either be loyal to a program that they that they loved growing up, um, that they have family connections to, which makes for interesting stories as well. Um, or they can have the the option to be loyal to their future goals as far as making to the NFL or the NBA. So we'll see which one gets demonized the most going forward. Caleb, good spot, man. We'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, guys. Have a good rest of the week and enjoy the rest of the news. We'll we'll figure this thing out as we go. <laughs> Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback. Voice of the Rebels as the analyst and a Wednesday insider with Cofield and company. Adam Hill is here as we move past the halfway point of the show. We got Fat Pack coming up. It is National Fried Chicken Day. That's that's rich. I love I love that. I got some fried chicken in the uh, in the fridge right now. We'll get to uh, what's going on tonight with the uh, Aces over at the MUA at Mick Ultra Arenas. They've got a, a great promotion going down. So we'll tell you all about that. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. In the animation world? Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. So Adam Hill's got out his uh, rankings of best NFL cities to go travel to, get the game day experience. I love Chicago. And by the way, the story is in the paper. Just got shouted out by Governor Sisolak, so that's cool. And we'll debate about this a little bit. I have a feeling we're going to have a debate because we don't agree on much. Sure. But uh, I love Chicago. I think it's a, a great place. The Soldier Field location is kind of interesting. Um, and what they're talking about right now, listen, I'm not in deep on the story yet. I can't imagine that the way to save the Bears going to the Burbs, the idea is to build a dome on New Soldier Field. What? Well, it's to build a dome. Is it a dome or is it one of these covers? Because I remember in Kansas City, they were going to wheel. Seriously, they from were going to wheel the other. They were going to wheel a cover over. Well, they were going to do it from one stadium to the other. From the baseball to the football. Yeah, stadium. It's a cover that could go. Over like, both. We want a Super Bowl. Yeah. So, here's our here's our dome on wheels. I mean, I think that's part of Chicago's plan. No. Of, well, the plan is if you put a dome on it, you can actually increase revenue streams by having things like concerts and. Okay. Other things well, like that's that. A, that's a good idea. But maybe this should have been the idea when they redid the stadium. Well, it was a while ago. How long ago is it? Is it over 20 years? I think it was about 20 years. Okay. I think it's 2002. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's about when it was. Um, the, stadium's, the stadium kind of sucks. It's falling apart. It's not great. Um, it just wasn't done well. And it wasn't done well. And there's not enough like suites and that sort of like They, they don't have enough revenue streams. So they want to add the ability to have things like, as you said, concerts, regionals. Uh, that sort of thing. So you, I think they actually want to have a dome uh, over the stadium. By the way, it was done in 2004, $660 million. Yeah. 18 years. And they're like, we screwed this up. Yeah, it wasn't good. 
and 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 they yeah it's there's a lot of work that needs to be done now they've talked about going away to the suburbs which would just ruin that i mean that that would suck it's close enough to downtown uh that it's a really cool experience now that would that would be really dumb um building a new dome maybe would be the right way to go but i don't think there's appetite to do that so uh they're trying to you know lipstick on a pig this and throw a dome on it and then maybe add you know some refurbishments and uh suites and that sort of thing i don't know they're in a tough spot because right now they're they don't think it's tenable where they are and just staying where they are uh the it seems like the suburb rumors are kind of empty threats but you know the city doesn't want to lose it so there's a lot of movements to do here, but I think just throwing a dome over seems silly. 1 owns a meat slicer, the other an air fryer. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Fried chicken today? National Fried Chicken Day. Wow. You just take like at least 6 days out of the year to eat like a real person. Enough with the stupid I diet. Know, vacations. That's a good point. Are you are you anti fried chicken? Uh, I mean, not like a, I'm anti, I think I'm talking, it's so childish, but I'm anti bones in meat. Oh, you are? Yeah. So yeah, like you, a, you gotta, you gotta be a, you gotta be a, an animal. Uh, like cause I, I had some fried chicken last night. I bought, I actually just bought some from the grocery store and I didn't even know national fried chicken was coming up, but I noticed like the SO sitting there next to me, right. We're watching TV and, uh, and she's like piecing through it. And I'm just like, like just ripping it apart every, like, yeah. and I'm so cheap. That fried chicken's like right up my alley, not from a cost standpoint, because we know chicken now is like flaming yon. Sure. Uh, but no, from from the I will not let any morsel of meat go untouched. I ripped the freaking thing apart. I had a couple of thighs last night. I was I was just a lunatic. Yeah, like I love a, I love chicken wings. Well, what the, but that's, that's I know, you but I also bones there. I know, but I also leave way too much on the. Like I'm like I don't like to eat. You like, haven't right mastered that whole. No, I saw I, I saw a lady yesterday on TikTok. Of course, of course. Um, like two bones on the flat because I've seen the flat like from top to bottom. People will smush it and take out the bones. I saw a lady remove both of the bones out and just had the. Ch- I was like, holy wow, God, that's, that's efficient. Yeah, I, I always leave too much on the bone uh, because I I don't like to eat like right down to it and I like no, I'm, I'm all I'm, over it like an actual like a fried I'll, chicken. I'll break my teeth. I don't care if you throw like a. Like fried chicken on a table, like I'm out. It's like no, I'm, but if like a one of the sandwiches, sure. Like a fried yeah, chicken patty. You're so soft. Filet. You're so sure. soft. But I just like watch. I recommended it yesterday to Willie Ribeiro. It's not even known that it was National Fried Chicken Day today. Watch David Chang, the Ugly Delicious season one episode six. It's on fried chicken. All the history of fried chicken. It's okay. awesome, and everything has changed, and the cultural appropriation the whole national hot chicken thing it's friggin' great hattie b's made it into my uh my story on <laughs> top desk top destination hattie b's was in david chang's piece so not came, good it, it came off okay, okay. that might have been part of the uh okay. you know not that the recipes were stolen but there was it was actually it was a very there's really good discussion throughout uh coming up let's go to oakland Let's find out what Adam was watching last night and a couple of hundred Las Vegans were paying attention to with the city council, where the A's are right now. We're not going to talk about baseball on the field. There's no point. They're not, you know, they don't, I don't think they want to win. Uh, you know, right now it's a, not a very good franchise, but it looks like they're staying in Oakland. So we'll get some details on the vote, what's coming up in the future. And if there's any way this falls through and Vegas could still get the A's. 
is coming off a win in his last start. This one is hit deep to left field. And that baby's gone. He's lead one nothing. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. A's one and only run. Ramon Laureano with the uh, the dong there. They wind up losing 2-1 at home. It has not been good at home for a lot of reasons, but on the baseball field, they just they don't win. Although, they, what, they won uh, first back-to-back games at home since the beginning of the season. That just happened. Yeah. <laughs> that just happened. So, 28-56 and 56 on the year. But the story for us and the A's is, you know, this – I think it's a negotiating ploy, but – you know, Steve Berman covers the market. He covers the team. Uh, I'm not buying into it. I don't know that Adam's buying into it. You watched the city council thing last night. So let's find out what's going on because it feels like the A's are staying in Oakland. Steve Berman from The Athletic is up with Cofield and Company. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. So uh, give us the thumbnail on what exactly happened last night with the uh, vote to uh, say no to putting it on the ballot. So, yeah, there's been two votes that, went down over the last like five or six days on thursday there was a vote that was actually pretty important the uh, bay conservation development commission uh voted uh to allow howard terminal to have no more port designation so the site where they want to build on the waterfront if they would have voted to not remove port designation then the project would have effectively been killed on the spot so that was a, a vote that went 23 to 2 in the a's favor uh so it pretty much just opens up the door to maybe get permitted to build there at some point. And then last night, way into the night, this meeting went until past midnight, uh, there were two city council people out of the seven who wanted to put it uh, to a ballot measure in November. It wouldn't have been a binding vote. It just would have been sort of an advisory thing. And the question was worded kind of, uh, I don't know if you say skillfully or kind of... Uh, <laughs> To, to sort of uh, maybe even fool people by just kind of throwing out there that it was like, are you pretty much it's, it's saying, or do you approve of providing public financing to this stadium project? And of course, I mean, in the city of Oakland, I mean, really pretty much everywhere these days, but especially in California, when everyone, anyone hears anything about stadiums and public financing, the answer is automatically no. Um, the A's have a plan to have uh, this, the infrastructure improvements uh, financed, but then they, by the city, in a sense, where tax revenues that's created by the project would go towards that, and then the A's would pay it back later. So the A's are saying that it won't have any sort of public financing whatsoever. We'll, we'll see if this even gets approved. But yes, yeah, this is not a situation, though, where people should jump the gun and say, oh, okay, so the A's are definitely saying this vote last night was, was expected. There are a lot more approvals that are needed. They're going to be much more arduous and difficult to attain than this one. So, I mean, especially the development agreement with between them and the city, the city wants the residential units that they want to build to have about 15% affordable housing. The A's are trying to get under that percentage. Uh, there are a lot of other things they got to hammer out. they got to get permits from, uh, you know, multiple different state agencies. And there are three lawsuits they're currently facing, and more might be coming. So there, there's a lot more to do before they're able to do anything close to breaking ground in Oakland. And they're still talking to Las Vegas and trying to whittle down uh, what site that they want to purchase to potentially build a stadium on there. So uh, there's a lot there, a lot in that answer to uh, to go over. But I think the, the main thing is, and you mentioned it, like these are small steps that have been taken the last 
two weeks or last couple of weeks that we've seen these votes and they've they've both gone the way that the A's needed them to, uh, but they are just two steps along the way. But if they would have gone the other way, it pretty much would have been a death knell, right? Yes. Yeah, especially if there was a, a ballot measure in November, it probably would have been a no vote, which might have affected the city council in the future. It also just would have delayed the process. The A's have been complaining for months now that they want this process to go faster. They want a final binding vote with the city council this year, especially because a lot of the city council people are running for other positions in, in, in local government. Uh, there's going to be a new mayor next year. The mayor, uh, Libby Schaff of Oakland, currently is very, very much in favor of the project. A new mayor might come in and not feel that way. So they want to get all this done really quickly, plus their lease ends in 2024 at the Coliseum. And if they don't have a stadium plan by then, then they're not going to be a revenue-sharing collector from MLB anymore. So, yeah, they're trying to get this done as, as fast as possible. And so that's why I think, uh, you know, they're looking at Las Vegas, too. And also Las Vegas has sort of the reputation of being a bit easier to deal with than California is with these types of projects. Although a lot of play, a lot of the politicians uh, in Nevada and Las Vegas have voiced concerns, saying, "Hey, we don't want to give public money away like we did to the Raiders." So, uh, you know, I'm not sure. There's other guys. There's other people who have said that maybe there's other options for financing. But yeah, it, it, it's still it's one of those deals where Oakland and Las Vegas feel like it's a negotiating ploy, and they're pitting the two sides against each other. And it's just really difficult right now to know where the A's are leaning, even because their owner never talks. So I learned a lot about Oakland yesterday, uh, sitting there watching the city council meeting for hours and hours and hours. Uh, some re- some reallocation of some funds from the federal government about some affordable housing. That's good. Good for the city. I'm <laughs> impressed with that. Uh, there's a lot there. But then we got to the A's discussion, and one of the city council members was just very insistent on revisiting the Coliseum as a site. What are we doing? That's not <laughs> happening, right? Yeah, that's uh, Noel Gallo. Uh, he he does this every single meeting that they talk about Howard Terminal. He he represents the district where the Coliseum is, and every time he says this, and you know it's just a moot point. The A's the A's and Major League Baseball have both said it's not a viable facility, and that they don't want to build in that area anyways. The A's say that because in a two team market they want to be in a more urban environment where there's, you know, bars and restaurants nearby and more activity. There really isn't anything to do around that site. It's a great to have a parking lot that's as large as it is at the Coliseum, and BART trains stop right there. There's a Coliseum station, which makes it easy to get there for people who can access BART. But there's nothing really else going on in that neighborhood, uh, and it's not really known as the nicest neighborhood in the Bay Area either. So the A's don't want to build there. They're not going to. The answer, really, at this point, they keep saying Howard Terminal or bus. Really, if Howard Terminal doesn't work out, they're going to explore relocation options if they aren't really seriously doing so already, and it seems to me that they are. First of all, I take offense to this. Uh, (laughs) You clearly have not been to that Denny's. There's always something happening. We've both stayed over there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, hey, there's an in and out you know, across the highway. Uh, there's a you know, there's a, you know a Taco Bell pretty nearby as well. Um, you know maybe uh, there's a uh, a dispensary right across the street from the Coliseum called Blunts and More. So you got that going okay. for you if you want to. So yeah, I, I, I take that back. I'm sorry. I know, and Steve Berman's with us uh, from the Athletic, talking A's and talking about the vote last night. Um, I, I know Oakland is your primary beat. You cover Major League Baseball, but 
the Raiders are gone now. We keep hearing, you know, just whispers here that the Raiders would not be thrilled if the A's came here. And I, I, I wonder if, you know, going back to the relationship between the A's and Raiders there, are you guys aware that the Raiders may be one of the forces that would push back on the A's landing here? Uh, that would, Actually, I haven't heard that, so um, that's interesting and not 1% surprising at all. When the two teams shared the stadium, there was a lot of animosity going on. The, the Raiders, of course, when they came back from Los Angeles, built what's called Mount Davis, which effectively ruined all of the views and the ambiance that that park used to have. It was actually back in the 80s and 90s, early 90s, it was a nice place to attend games. You know, you had views of the Oakland Hills. Uh, it was a much, much better ballpark than the one that Candlestick Park that the Giants played in. And, you know, the weather's always pretty nice there. Once Mount Davis, that monstrosity in the outfield, that really was never really used that much. I mean, the, the Raiders, uh, for most seasons, actually didn't sell out their games or blacked out locally for many years. And so they, they built that thing there. The A's didn't like that. The Raiders didn't like a lot of the things that the A's did with the Coliseum, with their renovations and things that they thought, thought sort of got into the Raiders' way. So, yeah, uh, that doesn't surprise me one bit, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're doing some backroom dealings to try to make sure that this doesn't happen. I'm not really sure if they really have any leg stand on, though, because, you know, if, if Major League Baseball wants to put a team in Las Vegas and they want that team to be the A's, then it's probably going to happen. They also, you know, Major League Baseball also looks at Las Vegas as a great expansion location, too, and expansion brings expansion keys. And I think that's another thing that, you know, I think MLB would, would kind of like it if Oakland would play ball and help out the A's and just get this done. But they definitely want a team in Las Vegas now. Now that the floodgates have opened, once the Golden Knights came and then the Raiders, you know, now you know the NBA is going to be there within probably five to ten years as well, I would imagine. Steve, that was an awesome spot. We appreciate it. Let's get you on soon because we definitely want more updates on what's going on. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. There he is, Steve Berman, BA Sports Guy up on Twitter from The Athletic. Okay. Does that reset things for you or not? You've never believed this was real? No. I mean, I don't. And I, I think part of it is that Vegas is that MLB does want Vegas as an expansion market. I think that's part of what the why there's going to be a push to keep the team in Oakland for one for one of those reasons. Um it sounds like from the sounds of the meeting last night, the A's and the city are going to have an agreement very soon. Okay, They're going to strike an agreement. Now, it does have to pass through all these different spots, but we've seen these last two votes. And again, not, not the most important votes along the way, but we've seen them pass overwhelmingly. And I think it's going to continue to go that way. If the city and the A's come to an agreement and the city likes it, again, this, there's multiple parts of the city, but the city being the mayor's office, Libby Schaff and her staff, if they come to an agreement and it fits all the framework of what they've already voted on, the requirements of that agreement, like it seems like it's going to be able to pass through all these steps. Right. Now, there could be a roadblock along the way, but it seems like it's going to happen. And now they've buttered us up for potential expansion, and then we'll have to see you know who, who would want to buy into baseball, who's going to pay that, where the money's going to come from for a Las Vegas stadium. This stadium stuff's going on all over the place. Real quick update before we get out of the 4 o'clock hour. Just saw one of the guys in Hawaii say that uh, new Aloha Stadium made it through the governor's line item veto. So it looks like demolition of old Aloha, which was falling apart, can happen in early 2023, and there's $400 million for a new Hawaii football stadium. So 
that will help. To but join, imagine join what league? Imagine I was going to say. Imagine being Hawaii football and you're seeing all this stuff, and we're like, we want to be in a conference. We right now we don't have a stadium that holds more than nine thousand. 